Well, good morning. We are continuing our Advent sermon series by looking at a passage in the book of Isaiah. Christians all over the world have for many years spent time in Isaiah during this season of Advent because the images, the promises, the hope that is offered in this book is what a weary world is needing. Isaiah and passages like the one I'm about to read show us what it's like when God comes. And this is good news for us all. We need these beautiful poetic words and images of hope that is found in Isaiah 35. So I'm going to read that for us now. You could follow along your order of worship or Bible or just listen as I read. The wilderness and dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. And the haunts of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall be reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, it shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor, rabbit, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. There shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return. And come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this time, this season that we're in where we hope and we wait and we long for things to be made right. And Father, for each one of us in this room, whatever we're uh, bringing to the table right now, whatever we're experiencing in our lives right now, whatever pain or waiting or struggle or suffering we're going through, I pray that your spirit will remind us of your love and that you will show us the light and the hope that we can have even in the dark times. In your name. Amen. So all my kids, uh, and especially my youngest daughter, Lucy, know how to get me to cry. If there is a computer in the room, or there's a TV that has the capability to Chromecast, all my kids need to do is put on a video of soldiers coming home, and I'm going to cry. <laughs> a soldier surprising their parents on Thanksgiving or Christmas when they come home, tears. A spouse walking in, soldiers seeing their spouse after a long time away, tears. And I got to tell you, if the soldier dressed up like a mascot or has like an umpire mask and removes it before the kids, I'm gone. I'm Tears are flowing. And look, I know that these videos are emotionally manipulative. I mean, they often have the song, I'm coming home, playing alongside to make you feel the emotions of sadness. And I also know that these videos do not tell the whole story. Often the homecoming probably isn't all that great. The reality is the surprise greeting doesn't tell the whole story of family dynamics and what it might be like for having someone being away for so long. 
but there is something about the idea of coming home that is moving. There is something about being back in the place where you love, a place where you miss, a place where you feel safe and hopeful. And let me just say that I know that not everyone feels like their home is safe. To some, and you might put yourself in that category, you don't really want to go home. I know, sadly, this is a reality for some, but even if that is true about you, even if your home is not a great memory for you, I believe a longing for home, a longing for a place to belong, to feel safe, and to experience love and acceptance is what we were made for. And ever since our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned in the garden, a true, lasting, safe home was ruined. And so home is something that we continue to long for. We long for a place away from the wasteland and the feeling of exile that we experience in our lives. And this is what this chapter in Isaiah is all about. This is why this chapter is read during Advent. This is part of the hope that we have during this season of Advent. The situation and the theme of this passage today is of exile and return. A theme that Isaiah will develop throughout his book. A theme of longing for healing. A theme of longing to no longer feel displaced. A theme of longing for a lasting home. And this theme is a theme of our lives as well. We, like the people that Isaiah wrote to long ago, long for healing. We long for God to fix this world we live in. We, like the people in Isaiah's day, are exiles in the land, longing for God to come make things right. We live in a world that often feels physically and socially and spiritually broken. So we need the hope of this passage and the hope of the promised lasting home offered to us. And that is why during the season of Advent, we not only remember that Jesus came, but we long and hope for Jesus to come again. And this is so important for us. We need this message of hope. We need this message of beauty in the midst of so much brokenness. In our passage today, Isaiah describes the brokenness as a wilderness, a desert of burning sand and thirsty grounds. What Isaiah wants us to picture as we hear these words is a wilderness full of arid soil lacking the water it needs to produce fruit. Isaiah wants to, uh, us to imagine a dry and barren place, a desolate wasteland that is only fit for beasts and weeds. And this is how it often feels in our day-to-day -day lives. Read the news, and it feels like our city and our world is a desolate wasteland. Poverty, homelessness, a lack of support for people is a regular problem in our city and world. Violence, suffering, Injustice and oppression seems to happen way too much. And it is hard to hear about all the pain and brokenness. I mean, just think about our city. I think our city is amazing and beautiful and full of many things we can celebrate. But the reality is at the same time, our city is often a dry, barren place producing weeds and thistles, not fruit and beauty. And even glimpses of hope that we have, for example, that we get to partner with Breakthrough Urban Ministries, a wonderful ministry on the west side that cares for people who are homeless, that cares for people who are hungry. Even things like the Gospel Justice Center that we get to do as a church every month, supporting people, helping people that need legal help 
and even the many of you that are involved in things with the poor and caring for people in our city and the needs that are all around us. These are great things to be commended. But are they enough? The reality is the problems in this city are too overwhelming. The desolation is too much. It's too dry. And without hope of something beyond ourselves to make things right, we're just going to want to give up. And that is why it is so good we have these words of hope, beginning in verses 1 and 2. Isaiah says, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory and the majesty of our God. The triad of wilderness, dry land, and desert is replaced immediately with the triad of Lebanon, Carmel, and Sharon. Isaiah names some of the richest, most fertile areas the people would know. These are the places back then that were seen with great glory and great beauty and great attractiveness. Isaiah is promising that the arid soil will burst into bloom, producing overwhelming vegetation and so much flowers that the land itself will cry out and sing. This vision of creation being restored and renewed back to the way it's supposed to be is the beauty and the hope of Advent. This hope of this new home that we are promised in the new heavens and the new earth, when Jesus comes again at the second Advent, is what this season is all about. And not only that, but brothers and sisters, we can believe that God has already started his renewing work of grace in the desert of our lives. God is able to give us lush growth and life in our broken places that we experience. Now, we will not see the full glory and restoration until Jesus returns and makes all things right, but he has begun a new work in us. The hope of this passage is regardless of how parched we may feel right now in our lives, God can make things bloom. God is working right now in the midst of your wilderness. And he is working to help our weak hands and our feeble knees and our anxious hearts. See, God calls us to things. We are called to do things, and yet we are weak in our actions. We have weak hands. God calls us to be strong, to keep course the way we are going in faith. But we are unstable with weak knees. And God calls us to hold to what we believe and have strong convictions, even in the midst of the brokenness. And instead, so many of us have anxious hearts. But we are promised in verses 4 and 5 that our hands will be strengthened, our knees will be firm, and our hearts will be strong without fear. How? Where do we go for this strength? How do we grow in stability and convictions and living according to the call of God in our lives? Well, verse 4 gives us our only hope. Behold, your God will come. Behold, our God will come. This is the hope of Advent. The hope that we celebrate thinking of the first time when Jesus came, as the song Little Bethlehem says, the hope and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And it's the hope of the promise that God will come back again. Behold, your God will come. And so the call here to be strong and not fear is not a call just to work 
harder. The call here is not just to do more to try to build up your faith. The call is not to be determined to be better, but rather we need to be determined to believe better. To believe and deepen our faith, to strengthen what is already ours in Christ. God, our God, promises to come. And notice Isaiah does not say the God or a God. He says our God, a God who longs to have relationship with us. He is the one to promise to come. And God will come and not leave this world as it is in bondage and drought and oppression. God will come and make all things right. It says in our passage that God will come with vengeance, meaning God will come to make right the wrongs in our world, to order back the chaos of our world, to heal the sickness of our world and restore creation back to its rightful order. It says God will come with recompense, meaning God will come and make amends to those who have suffered loss. God will compensate what has been lost. And he will come with vengeance and recompense to save us, it says. So knowing this helps us in the dark, painful times in our lives. And I think knowing this can help motivate us to keep doing the things that God calls us to do. To care for the poor, to care for those in oppression, to fight against injustice, to model God's righteousness and care about the things that God cares about because he tells us what he cares about. He wants us to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before him. And I believe the more we behold God, the more we believe God will come and make things right, the more we place our hope in God's coming the more we can be bold with strong hands, firm knees, and steady hearts. So my application for us today is this. Keep serving your God and God's people even when you feel weak. God promises us to strengthen our hands for service. Keep hope that God will one day make things right and we get to begin the kingdom work now. Keep standing firm with your convictions in your faith and in God and his kingdom, even when it looks like evil is winning. God promises to return. He promises us hope in the midst of our darkness. And keep fighting against the fear and despair that we can be so easily consumed by. Our God will come. Behold him in all that he promises to do. And this is hard. It is hard at times when we see so much pain and suffering in our lives and in the world. What are we to do with the sadness and the waste and the evil that we see and we experience often? There's a place to question and wonder, God, what are you doing? There's a place to analyze the problem and see if there's a solution. But I also think in the pain and the suffering, there is a place to marvel even in the midst of the pain. There is a place to, while we suffer, to see the beauty promised by God to us. And I think, I think we see this richly in the next verses, verses 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the layman leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The blind and the deaf have been used in Scripture to point both to the spiritual and physical condition of the world we live in. The fact that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. 
And here in our passage in Isaiah, he wants us to experience the joy of what is promised. The promise of healing, powerful work of our king. When he comes to bring a kingdom of healing and hope and life. And he will. Creation that has sunk deep into dysfunction, death, and chaos is promised to be rejuvenated for fruitfulness and celebration like the leaping of a deer and singing with great joy. These verses point to the beautiful life-giving healing kingdom that God is promising us and has begun already. This is why we heard in our gospel reading this morning that Jesus refers to these verses to identify who he is and why he came to this earth. In Luke 7, our gospel reading, John the Baptist is in prison. He's probably wondering, what is going on? He might be wondering, you know, is it worth everything that he has been doing? He has been preaching and promoting God's kingdom coming. And he thinks that the king has come, and that king is Jesus. He hopes that Jesus is the king, because if not, perhaps his time in prison is not worth it. But he's wondering, I'm sure, if Jesus was the king, if he was the Messiah, why is he not doing anything revolutionary or cataclysmic? Why is the messianic grand vision that they had not coming forward right now? So he gets his followers together and he says, you need to ask this question of Jesus. And you know what? It's the question that every single one of us in this room has to ask at some point in our life. Are you the one? Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? And Jesus uses this passage to tell that he is the one. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. What Jesus is saying is that this foretold by the prophets so long ago is coming true in my ministry, Jesus says. The time of God's liberation is here. The sign of God's kingdom breaking into a desolate, broken world is happening because I have come. This is the good news of the first advent of God in Jesus. He came as a baby and he lived a life that promoted God's kingdom in words and actions. And in his coming, he performed signs and wonders of healing in this earth. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He made the deaf hear. And this is true. The Gospels are full examples of healing power of Jesus. But the reality is not everyone was healed when Jesus was on this earth. Not everyone received sight during Jesus' first advent. It was a start. It was a sign pointing to a far greater healing kingdom and home that is to come. Because if all we did in Advent was remember that Jesus came to Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago as a baby, we would miss so much. The birth of Jesus is an amazing story full of great hope. But the coming of Jesus at the beginning starts the hope that we have today. And so right now, presently, we are on this journey of faith waiting for the home and true healing that is still promised to come. Some of you might be familiar with the author and theologian uh, Friedrich Buechner. Um, I've read some of his work, and I've enjoyed him, but I didn't realize till this week that uh, when he was a boy, he spent over a year in bed with a serious illness that was overwhelming him. And it was during this time that Buechner uh, spent hours and hours and hours reading the story of the Wizard of Oz. And if you've ever read Buechner, you know that he sometimes uses the Wizard of Oz in his writings. 
that ultimate story of journey to home that I'm sure most of you are familiar with. Beekner wrote this in his book, The Magnificent Defeat. For outlandish creatures like us, on our way to a heart, a brain, and courage, Bethlehem is not the end of our journey, but only the beginning. Not a home, but the place through which we must pass if ever we are to reach home at last. We are on a journey and we are not yet home, which means we can hope, but not downplay, justify, or avoid the present pain and sorrow we are experiencing. Our passage ends with hope that sorrow and sighing shall be gone one day, but that day sadly is not today. Sadness is everywhere. Sickness and death are plaguing some of our families and us personally right now. Many of us feel the daily feelings of frustration and defeat and hopelessness. Sadness, especially during these holiday seasons for many, is a present reality that is consuming you. And sighing is everywhere as well. We sigh at the exhausting pace of life, the busy schedules that won't end. We sigh at the sin that keeps creeping in and destroying us. We sigh that we make promises to never do something again, and yet we do it over and over and over. But in our pain, in our sighing, may we open our eyes to see the highway to home that is before us. Isaiah ends promising a safe place where not lions nor ravenous beasts will attack us. A holy place where the unclean and evil cannot overtake us. A promised home that we will be wearing crowns of joy and gladness. Not because we did enough to earn it. Not because we're worthy of it because of all we've done. Not because, you know, we've worked really hard this life and that's what we're promised because of our hard work. Isaiah is clear, as is the rest of Scripture. It is only the redeemed and the ransomed by King Jesus that are allowed to enter into this home. I would encourage you uh, this Advent to take these last few verses of Isaiah 35 and meditate on them. Perhaps this week, read over these wonderful words of hope that Isaiah gives us. Basically, what Isaiah does is he's giving us like a refreshing oasis on our way home. A place where we can pause and gather strength for what remains ahead of us on our journey of faith. This is a place I hope that you will believe these great words of hope when despair whispers into your ear, just give up. It's not worth it. I hope this is a place of hope that you can cling to when guilt whispers into your ear, you are not worthy. You are broken. I hope this is a place of hope and an oasis when shame whispers into your ear or shouts into your ear, you are not enough. We are promised a great highway home. We are promised the way of holiness to walk on, a safe and secure place to go. Zion, the holy hill and kingdom of Zion. And this passage says the redeemed are the ones that are walking on it. That's the ones that Jesus died for. That's all of us. If we've accepted his work, we are able to walk on this road. The ransomed are the ones on the way to Zion singing. The ones that Jesus set free from sins and darkness because of his work on the cross. And because of this hope, we are coming home. 
we are coming home with gladness and joy. Believe this to be true. Live this truth out and worship and behold with gladness and hope that your God will come. Let me pray for us. Father, as we wait for your second arrival, we thank you for the hope of your first arrival, that your son came and lived the life we could never live and died the death we deserved. And we celebrate his birth, his life, and his death and resurrection as our only hope for that time when one day we will be home with you in glory. In your holy name, amen.